This is Bethel Online. Welcome home. This is the next best thing to being at Bethel on Sundays. We are driven by making disciples of Jesus who make disciples. When you're online, interact with us on Facebook and Instagram. When you're in Barhead, Alberta, drop in Sundays to Friday. Our goal on this podcast is to ask questions, challenge certainty, and grow a relationship with Jesus so you can go the distance and bring others with you. Thank you for tuning in. You watched Aaron on the platform at the beginning take a balloon and actually put a sharp object right through that balloon and it didn't burst. That was incredible. I'm not sure if you thought that before he would burst the balloon or, or what would happen. I think even more incredible is Aaron standing at the front with his two kids, uh, being able to worship. Uh, I'm not sure what you're going to do when you have three children, holding one right now in each arm, uh, but when you get up to three, or maybe God will bless you with twins. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> you're welcome. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> All right, Dallas. <laughs> we, uh, through the month of March, uh, are going to look at a couple of things like Mythbusters. The series title is called, I Have a Friend Who, and you'll see this on uh, the front of your notes. Um, it was an opportunity for people in our church family to ask questions, either themselves or on behalf of a friend. So we want to try to answer a question every Sunday, and we're going to start off with a, a question today. Um, and this is, um, this is actually the hardest one. I'm going to deal with what I think is one of the hardest ones that we've received so far. So I want to start um, with the hardest one first and perhaps be able to deal with a bit of a myth uh, that we can face, especially as people of faith. Uh, And so I want to delve into that very first question. and, And this is what was written. So here's the statement that was offered. If God is supposed to be like a father... So that's how the Bible portrays God as a father. Jesus says, uh, when he taught us to pray, our father who art in heaven. And so the idea of praying to God as a father. What dad would take his child's hand and press it into a hot burner to teach that child a lesson? Now, that's part A of the question. Part B is this. Why do people suffer and we say that God is teaching them a lesson? So this is the question I want to deal with and want to deal with a bit of a myth that is embedded in the response to that question. So if I can tell you a story, actually, can I let a person named Chris tell you her story? I've written out what she's going to say. I don't have a video. I want to keep this anonymous. But this is Chris's story. She starts by saying, and I have a friend, and friend is Chris. As a young child, I enjoyed Sunday school. And I learned to put my trust in God, which is good. We, we have a Sunday school here, lots of children this morning, lots of happy kids, uh, and coming down the halls and laughing and looking forward to going. And, and Chris would have been a child just like that in a, in a church with Sunday school. And she would have sang the Sunday school songs and learned about God and learned about Jesus. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Uh, when Chris was five years old, uh, her mother, who had divorced, Uh, when she was two, met a monster and moved him into our house. He was a violent child molester who tortured me for the better part of a year, and the abuse was too graphic to describe here. I kept praying for a long, long time. To a suffering child, it seemed like an eternity, but I knew God sometimes tested people's faith. God also punished people I knew, 
So I tried to remember if I had done anything, something bad, that I might have deserved to be punished for, but I couldn't think of anything. Now again, she's five years old. The monster always did it again, and I finally decided that God wasn't going to help. What kind of God wouldn't help someone like me? What kind of God wouldn't help someone like me? You may know someone like Chris. Chris is stuck. Chris is now a grandmother. She has her own children, and they have their children. And Chris is stuck. Chris doesn't go to church anymore. Um, She is really disappointed that her children take her grandchildren to church. She's stuck. I'm not sure if you've ever been stuck. Maybe you know someone who is stuck. I've been stuck. When my wife and I attended Bible college, dating at Bible college was a little bit of a difficulty. Uh, They had rules at Bible college when we went to school. They had an an 18-inch rule. That meant you couldn't sit within 18 inches of the opposite sex when you were at school. So you couldn't sit that close to somebody at lunch or anywhere else on the school campus. So people who had cars had the opportunity to get off campus. I had a car. (laughs) And I had a girlfriend. (laughs) And that was Jocelyn at the time. And so sometimes we would just go for a ride in the car around Peterborough, wherever the Bible college was. And I, we, I remember this winter evening, dark. We always tried to maybe go different places. And we went to one place down the street. It was kind of out in the country. Came to the end of the road. It wasn't really a road. And there really wasn't a turnaround, but there was a dead end. And so we tried to turn around, but it was winter. And there was lots of snow in Peterborough. And our car got stuck. And now we were in trouble. Because not only was there not a way to get it unstuck, so Jocelyn and I tried to push it and get it out, but we couldn't get it out. But that's 1978, and there are no cell phones, and there is nobody around, and we can't get help, and we have to get back on campus because there's a curfew, and if you miss your curfew, then you get disciplined. And when you find yourself out with a girl after curfew, it's even worse. So we had to walk to the nearest house to use their phone to call CAA to come and tow us out. And uh, we, it, we got stuck that night. And it was, uh, it was something that turned into a bit of an embarrassment for us, being stuck. So I share that story with you only this morning in case you've been stuck or you've been in a situation where you wish people didn't know that you were stuck. Uh, fortunately, we made it home before curfew so that we won't dismiss from the school. I graduated, I got into ministry, and that was like 42 years ago. So... Uh, But stuck. Stuck isn't always easy to get out of, but you need help, right? You need help to get uh, unstuck. Chris needed help to get unstuck. She got stuck when she was five years old. She lived with the torture and the abuse and its impact in her life for decades. Like I say, she's a grandmother now, but she's still stuck. And when she turned for help, the kind of help that she got wasn't really what she needed. She didn't need the kind of help that she received. What I want to do is use Chris's story to help you, because if you're watching online, or maybe you're here in the house here at Bethel, that maybe you're stuck, or maybe you know someone who is stuck. And the idea of suffering and what God does in our lives with suffering, that very well-intentioned believers, Christians, have tried to be a help. And in being a help, sometimes the help hasn't been helpful. And I want to address a myth that Jesus actually addresses in the Bible. 
I love living by Jesus as my example because I think if Jesus were alive today, and he is alive but he's not here, and he were to meet with Chris, he may, I think he would give her a different answer than was given to her by Christians, by people who were very well-intentioned and wanted to be helpful. So what I want to do is be able to share what Jesus talked about and what he would have said to Chris and perhaps what he would say to you. And part of this whole thing is, to help, is helping me help you. So we're learning together in this. Learn, why are we learning this? Because you know someone, I know you know, someone who is stuck. Someone who has gone through suffering, someone who's gone through abuse. Maybe they've experienced physical abuse or verbal abuse. Um, maybe they've been ostracized. Um, maybe they've gone through rejection. Maybe they've gone through a circumstance in their life where they were made to feel less than, that they were not welcomed or wanted or they weren't good, as good as other people. And they were given the impression that God had something to do with this. And, and I want to help you help them, but I also want to help you help the next person that comes into your life that needs um, an answer. And maybe even something more than an answer. So two stories that come from the, the Bible. Um, what Chris says is the monster did it again until I finally decided that God wasn't going to help. And the whole idea of what Chris had in her life and what we experience in our lives, to take it to the idea that the problem of pain, and this is what we deal with, is probably the only good argument against Christianity. The argument of pain is probably the only good argument against the Judeo-Christian concept of God. The idea that there is a good God, that he is all-powerful, that he loves us immensely, that he has sent his son into the world, that he cared about us enough to have his son die for us, and that if there is a good God and he is all-powerful, then why would he allow a little five-year-old girl who attended Sunday school who prayed, God help me, to be abused continuously and to go through trauma and torture? How do you answer that question? If there is a good God and he's all-powerful and we believe in prayer and God does miracles, then why wouldn't God heal a person, a mom, a woman, a man, a child who has cancer that just simply needs God to intervene? And we say we believe in healing and that God is good and then that person dies. And there is a widow created and sometimes orphan children. And we go, why? Why? That doesn't make any sense at all. And that's why the problem of pain is probably the greatest argument against the Judeo-Christian concept and belief in God as a good God and all-powerful. And if people want to make that argument, and when they do make that argument, very often it's better as a believer, I think, to remain silent than at times to explain the unexplainable. Because if you understand the unexplainable, you know that there are no simple answers or pat uh, answers, trite answers that have any kind of sufficiency. Um, and, and this is exactly where Jesus comes from. Luke chapter 13, verse 2, is one of the stories that Jesus tells. And he's actually responding. He's responding to suffering. So if you look into Luke chapter 13 too, you see that there's a group of people who had incredible hardship. Um, and they were, there was a group of them that um, actually were killed in the midst of their worship. And their blood was mingled with their sacrifices. These were Jews, Galileans specifically. And people said, you know what? They must have been really, really bad sinners because not only did God reject their sacrifice, but he took their lives. 
And they bring this to Jesus, and they want him to respond. And, and Jesus says to them, you know what? They were no worse people than anybody else. But unless you reconsider your thoughts and the way you live, you'll end up just like them. That was his response to sincere people who question. There, there's another, um, well, the verse says this. Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Um, he was responding to the idea that the more blessed your life is, the less problems you have, the better person you are, and the more God loves you. So therefore, if your life has hardship, if it has sickness, if it has poverty, if it has cancer, if it has things like that, then there's something wrong in your life. And God is punishing you. He's causing you to suffer because he wants to teach you a lesson and have you change your living. That was their approach. And Jesus, answering the question, says, hey, no, that's not the correct approach. That's not what my Father God is all about. In another story, John chapter 9, verse 3 and 4, Jesus and his disciples come across a man who's born blind. He's now an adult, hasn't been able to see all his life. And the disciples question for Jesus. They ask him, who sinned? This man or his parents? And when you're a hammer, everything is a nail. And when you look at life in certain ways, that everything has, as it were, some anticipated questions to ask. And so when they see the man who is blind, their religion would have taught them either he or his parents did something wrong. They, they had sin in their lives, and God was punishing that man uh, because of sin. And so notice what Jesus says. Um, he says, um, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause and effect here. So this man was an adult. Everybody who had seen him, probably these disciples before, would see him and go, okay, you must be a sinner. Your parents sinned. Somebody sinned. That's why you're suffering. And Jesus says, you know what? There's no cause and effect here. You're asking the wrong question. And Jesus goes on and he says, look instead for what God can do. Notice the word energized. We need to energetically uh, be at work for the one who sent me here. Jesus says we need to be energetically at work for God. That when we see someone who's blind, who has experienced that trauma for their whole life, the question is not to say, why is he blind? How much sin did he or his parents do? The question is, how can I heal him? How can I help this man see? As that's what Jesus does. He takes and he spits on the ground and he makes mud and he puts the mud on the guy's eyes and he tells him to go away and go to a pool and wash in the pool and when you go, you'll come seeing. And so the man does that. He's responding. When Jesus sees the man who is blind, he's not concerned about his parents' sin or his sin. He's concerned about doing the work of God, which is to heal the man and help him to see. And so... He doesn't answer a question. And I think this is the myth that I want to deal with. When I say I think, this is the myth I want to deal with. That very often as Christians, we get questions and we give answers. And when a person who is suffering like Chris gives a question and wants to know why she's suffering and where was God, the answer isn't to try to explain some theology to her. The answer, your response, is not an answer at all. You don't want to answer suffering with an answer. You want to answer suffering with you. You want, to, you want to answer it with your love, the love that's in your life from Jesus. You want to answer it with a way that says, how can I help you? 
How can I help you, Chris, get unstuck? How can I help you know that I am sad? I'm brokenhearted about your abuse. You were five years old. That should never have happened to a little girl. I am so sad and sorry that you had to go through this. I'm so sad and sorry you've had to live with this. I am so sad and sorry that you had other people of faith that tried to convince you that God was trying to teach you a lesson through this abuse. Let me just tell you this. God would never teach anybody a lesson through abuse. He would never teach anybody a lesson through cancer. He would never teach anybody a lesson through disappointment, heartache, brokenness, divorce. God doesn't use those things to teach people lessons. Okay? Now, some people may say, you know what? When I went through cancer, I learned something. But you see, that's not the objective of the cancer. And that's not God's purpose in the midst of it. And if you learn something, that's a bonus. But if you connect with God in the midst of that, and you connect with other people who stand with you and support you and love you and care for you, then you've experienced God's kind of answer in that circumstance. It's not trying to explain why somebody is sick. Try to explain why somebody died. Try to explain why somebody got abused as a child. Explanations aren't required. Uh, What people need is you. They need to know that you heard and understand and love and care. And you see, that's the way Jesus acted. That man born blind, he didn't need an answer for why he was blind. He needed a healing. He needed help. He needed his eyes opened. And that's exactly what Jesus gives to him. I love uh, Orly Reeve. She posted this, I think, this week on her Facebook page. An ounce of help is better than a pound of preaching. So of all the people in the whole room that can say that, I can say that the best because that's what I'm doing right now is preaching. <laughs> and uh, so I can, I can say that, hey, a, a pound of my preaching, that an ounce of help is way better than that. Uh, sharing. Uh, it's so true that when you're suffering, you don't need preaching. You really don't. You, you need help. You need somebody to come alongside you. You need somebody who will pray with you, somebody who will love you, somebody who will empathize with you, somebody who will care for you, somebody who will show you how even beyond our own physicality, our heart can be healed and, and helped. You see, Christianity doesn't come along and explain healing. It doesn't come along and explain suffering. We are so much dot-connecting people that we like to take this dot and say, okay, well, that connects to this dot. This is what this means. And then you go to this dot, and then you go to this dot, and we just keep connecting the dots. And the reason we do that is we're people of cause and effect. If something's happened, there must be a cause. For every effect, there's a cause. And we try to figure out what was the cause of it. And usually we come up, especially in significant areas, with the wrong cause. We come up with the idea that, oh, his parents sinned or he sinned, or he's done something wrong, or he doesn't have enough faith, or she doesn't get it right. And we feel justified in saying that because it sounds good to us, but it doesn't do a hill of beans for a person who's broken inside and, and, and hurting and abused and crushed. And that's why Jesus comes alongside people and offers healing to them rather than an answer. And so our answer is ourselves. Our answer is what God can do through us and to work in their lives. Um, I believe the Christian response to suffering is not to try to explain why it exists. I believe that the Christian response to suffering is to fight against its manifestation in the world. That our response as a Christian, the best response is to fight against the suffering, to do something that would alleviate somebody else's brokenness, to bring healing. That's what Jesus called us to do. He said the works that he has done, he opened the eyes of the blind, unstopped the the ears of the deaf, that he raised a little girl from the dead, that he came and healed lepers who were ostracized from society. And he said, you know what? You will do greater works than I've done. And the greater works 
are in the magnitude and in the multiplicity. The fact that he was limited because he was one person and could only touch people where he was. Whereas we who represent him, we can touch people in our schools, in our work. We can touch people um, in our neighborhood. We can uh, connect with family, friends, and even strangers to bring about help and healing. But the ability to act against heartache and suffering, that's what God calls us to do. So that's what Kevin and Julia Garrett did. When they were imprisoned falsely by the Chinese for 776 days, they could have become embittered, they could have become angry, they could have become crusaders against their own government who it was felt like they didn't do anything for them. And they suffered in silence and in brokenness, but they didn't. They chose to take what happened in their own suffering and turn it around and share it with high school students here in Barhead and, and go to uh, Barhead Composite High and just share honestly and answer questions from students. And they took and chose to, you know, they don't have an answer for their suffering. They've learned, they've changed, but they don't try to explain why they have to go through this. They just try to explain that there's other people that we can help. And so in their presentation, it was about justice. It was about the two Michaels that are in prison right now in China and what we can do. And how Canadians who wrote letters to Prime Minister Harper and Prime Minister Trudeau actually got the attention of the government and made a difference. That's what Kevin and Julia uh, will tell you. And that's what they told the students then. That's why I took a pair of running shoes and put them around my neck. Those uh, running shoes belonged to a young lady who had cancer. And she was a runner. And uh, when I prayed with her, I told her that I believed that God was going to heal you and that one day we would run together again. Only God didn't heal her. And in my own grief and in my own loss and in my own explanation and and saying to God, why would you not have healed her? Uh, What I took and did was I entered into a race to raise money for Burundi. It was a 10-kilometer race. And I had promised her that I would run with her again, so I took her shoes and put them around my neck, and I ran the race with her shoes around my neck. And I wanted to do that as a way to deal with my own grief, but also as a way to address suffering, because all the money that was being raised was going to go and help orphans in the nation of Burundi. I'm going to be going to Burundi in January this coming year and uh, connecting with the church that is there and just spending time with people there. But in the midst of my own hurt and my own loss and my own unanswered questions, because there was no reason why God shouldn't have healed this young lady. Three kids, married, a great uh, individual, and uh, she died. And I have no answer for that. I had no answer for her parents. I had no answer for her sister or her husband. I have no answers. You'll see on the side there the funeral um, for her at Millwood's Pentecostal Assembly. Her entire family, her cousins, uncles, aunts, grandparents, came to the platform at the end of the service and they sang together a song, a song of praise. Because in the midst of their heartache and their grief, they wanted to turn to God. Rick Warren, when his son, 27 years of age, took his own life at Easter time a few years ago, said, I can live with unanswered questions, but I can't live without God in the midst of my grief. And you see, when when other people are simply given answers, that's the easiest thing to do, right? And sometimes those answers aren't right, and they lead a person in the wrong direction. The hardest thing is to give them ourselves, to come alongside them, to be with them, to not have an answer, to to not have a way to explain the unexplainable, and, and to be able to just be there and say, 
I love you. I care about you. My heart breaks along with you. I believe in God. I'm going to be praying for you. I will do anything I can to help you. I think that's the response that people want to give. It's the kind of response that, that comes out of what I'm going to do in a couple of months by um, facing my fear. My, I, I'm afraid of heights, so when I get out to the edge of here, I get nervous. I'm going to go up to 14,000 feet and jump out of a perfectly good plane because I want to help women who've been abused, sexually abused, and they're in a place called Adira, and we're going to raise money to do that. But I want to face their suffering by saying, you know what? Um, years ago, I went to jail uh, for, the, for women like this. I was a part of the initial organization in 1998 that started up in Edmonton called the Edmonton Women's Dream Center. And so to raise money, I went to jail. Um, and now, whatever it is, 22 years later, uh, going back to jump out of a plane to try to raise money to help women who are abused, to simply say to them, you know what, you did not deserve this. And I couldn't prevent it, but what I can do right now is help you where you are. I want you to know that you're loved. I'm willing to face my own fear because you face your fears every day. And this would be my response. This is my answer to their suffering, is to give them something of me, to give, <laughs> give my fear, I hope not my life, um, to have people support and give money. That's why in Africa right now, there's a place being built that will help boys and girls. That's why when rain passed away and there were all those unanswered questions where there was the heartbreak and there was no answers really. There was just people who came alongside. That out of that suffering, there's going to be other sufferers that will have a chance at life and have a hope. And I want Jason Cougar, if he would come and just join me on the platform uh, right now. He's going to make his way down from the back. And I want him to share with you out of his own life, what is happening uh, right now in terms of provision um, and, and a way that you can actually participate, a way that you can actually, without an answer verbally, uh, provide something that's very strong uh, in generosity. And so Rain's heading up here, or, or I'm sorry, Jason's heading up here. We're going to talk about Rain. And you have somebody special in your arms I, there too. I do. It's on. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jason. This is my uh, granddaughter, Lenny. I brought her up here as kind of my sympathy, uh, Genius my sympathy plan to uh, here, I'll get, this. get up here and talk about a little bit about uh, what we're doing here with uh, Rain's Dream. Um, I probably won't be jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. <laughs> but... Um, I, uh, I shared a post to Facebook here um, about a month ago um, with regards to um, rain passing away. And her uh, plans for what she was doing in Africa um, her dreams. Um, I'm just going to read it to you, what I posted. Um, rain sudden passing in April is still something myself and the kids are still struggling with. She has loved and missed so much. Her biggest passion in life was her Heavenly Father, her family, and helping others however she could. She loved her job as a nurse, and when she could, 
She loved to travel and go to countries like Haiti and Malawi and use her love for God and her nursing skills to help others. Even before she became a nurse, and very early in our relationship, she had always expressed to me her love of wanting to become a missionary. And when Kai and Cole were very young, she took a trip to Romania to work in an orphanage with young children and babies. That love for helping others just grew stronger from there. She went back to school to become a nurse, all while being a loving mom, wife, sister, daughter, aunt, and friend, and now grandma. Sorry. To so many family and friends. As busy and hardworking that she was, always putting God in her life first and living life to its fullest. After Rain's first trip to Africa to work in a refugee camp there, she came home and right away went to working on planning the next one. She talked about the conditions of the camp, the overcrowding, and the very small medical clinic there. A clinic with no running water, very little medical supplies, and a staff with little or no proper training. She did her best when she was there by bringing supplies from home that people donated to her, buying supplies in Malawi where she could, and providing training and teaching to the staff that were there. Rain made that second trip, came home, and told me she wanted to do more. Rain wanted to raise funds to build a new clinic with running water and trained workers to better the needs of the people living there. A facility that would be sustainable for the future, understanding that the needs of the people in this refugee camp were never going away. She was making a difference, one person at a time, but she wanted to do more but was not one to ask for help or money. Everything she did, she put before God and he provided. When Darcy and Brenda Kummer, close friends of us, approached Rain about a trip to Malawi, Africa, I think they already knew she wouldn't say no. They knew they had found someone who had the skills, and the love for others that they needed at the refugee camp. Our family, Darcy and Brenda, and Blazing Faith Ministries want to continue Rain's work. Oops. Kaya, your phone got really Here, let me hold small. the let me hold the mic for you. Okay, I don't have a lot left to read anyway, I'll just uh, add a bit. Um, we've, uh, as a family, um, had a plan drawn up um, and working with Darcy and Brenda to uh, get this um, clinic built um, at the refugee camp in Malawi. Um, the refugee camp is a United Nations um, controlled facility. Um, Blazing Faith Ministries has got the approval and the permits to um, establish a clinic there with running water, with 
with trained um, United Nations staff. So um, we had the uh, we had a contractor in Malawi to uh, give us a price on the on the build. Um, it's a hundred thousand American for an eighteen hundred square foot um, building with exam rooms, um, supply room, much like um, a medical clinic here. Um, going to have running water. There's uh, about another six thousand to drill a, a well, and. Um, we're just asking um, mostly for prayers. People that want to give can. Um, those that can't, um, all the prayers in the world will help. And um, we're just uh, trying to continue on. Uh, something we would have done even if rain was here, I'm sure. And um, as a family, um, if you have any questions, I'll be at the back after church at a table there with just a, a rough drawing of, of the plan for the clinic. And um, if you have any questions, myself or one of the kids will be there to uh, help you out. Um, Pastor Bob, thank you for right. this time and opportunity to come forward. Well, thank you, Jason. Let's give Jason a good hand. And we can really do more than applaud today as well. And we can generously give to help other people out of suffering. So Jason, really for me, um, and his experience, is the epitome of what I've been trying to share. That an answer to suffering is not a logical, theological, it's a person. It's uh, what, what Jason is trying to do for Rain and what others are trying to do. You, you fight suffering. That's the compassionate response. It's not, sometimes it's just not explainable, but you fight it. And that's what Jason's doing. And uh, God bless you in doing that, Grandpa Jason. Thank you. <laughs> All right. With Jesus, I have a friend. I have a friend in Jesus. I have a friend who suffered. The Bible says that being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. This was hours before he'd be crucified. And his sweat became like great drops of blood. C.S. Lewis, whose wife developed cancer, before she developed cancer, said, I've come up with an idea of how I can explain pain. And after she died of cancer, he said, I thought I knew an answer. I don't have an answer now. And if you've ever seen the movie Shadowlands, you see C.S. Lewis, who was once an atheist who became a believer and then had his faith question when his wife died after everybody prayed for her. He sits with his son after a funeral for the boy's mum, and they both cry together. There's no answers. He has no answer. They're both mad at God, but they don't give up on God. And God suffered. Jesus became like us, and in agony suffered. And the Bible says that uh, we see Jesus through the experience of his death, that in that death, by God's grace, he fully experienced death in every person's place. The answer to suffering is, is Jesus. We used to sing a song, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. You see, it's not just a logical, theological answer. It's a person. It's God who came into our world and became like us and died in our place and suffered, just like we have, and created a way that we could find a relationship with God again. And if you're here today, and I, I hope what I've shared is, is helpful to you, if you're watching online, helpful to the degree that when you 
And you have people in your lives, I know, and when you encounter the next person that has a question because they're confounded and may be hurt by the suffering they've gone through that's unexplainable, that rather than give them some kind of a thought-out, logical, pat answer, give them yourself. Tell them your heart breaks for them. Tell them you want to listen. Tell them you want to come alongside them. Tell them you're not going to give them a pat answer, that you're going to give them something better. I want to give you myself. I want to engage and enter into your circumstance, just like Jesus did. I want to share Jesus with you and his love. This morning, I would share Jesus with you. That if you've come to this place or watching online, and you haven't come to a place where you've had your questions, and maybe they haven't been answered, or maybe inefficiently, um, maybe in your life you haven't come to a place recently where you were ready to simply say, okay, God, I don't want a pat answer, but I need something. I need you. And that you would be open in this moment to saying, I need Jesus. And by needing Jesus and acknowledging that, um, you can get the best help, the best resource, the healing uh, that your life needs, that your relationships need, that your uh, body needs, that your emotions need, that your future needs. And in this moment, as we close off in prayer, and I want to just invite you in a moment to bow your heads with me, and I just want to lead you in prayer. Before I ask you to do that, though, I want to ask every person in this room that is here without Jesus, without a personal relationship with him, that when we bow our heads, that you would say, this is my moment. Pastor Bob, this is the time where I want to, I want to lean into Jesus. I recognize that what you've shared today is, is not some kind of pat answer. It's from your heart and I want to have Jesus in my life. That's all I say. And that's not a pat response. It's what I want. It's what I mean. And uh, this is your moment and to respond to God in that. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Uh, I just, as I say, want to pray for you and pray for those of you watching online right now as well. Very significant moment for all of us. Jesus, I I thank you that you didn't uh, stay far away. You came just like us. Uh, And you suffered uh, just like us. I thank you that when you encountered suffering, you gave yourself, that you didn't give a pat answer, that you didn't diminish people. You came alongside, you heard, and you healed. You opened eyes. And I pray you'd open our eyes today. Open our hearts. Undeafen our ears. Um, bring us back from the rut that we may have been stuck in. Bring us out of the grave. Give us new life. Just like you did that little girl that you raised from the dead when you were on earth. Just like Lazarus, who you simply called forth to be alive, and he rose from the grave, still wrapped in those grave clothes. I pray that you'd help us in this moment, just to kick the ends out of our rut, to be able to experience life, and to be energized about what you're doing. Just like you said, we need to be energized in our lives about doing the work of God. So help us do that. Help every person in this room that is saying, I want you in my life, Jesus. And help every person who've asked you into their life to walk from this place, ready to respond with grace and love and empathy and the power of God's Holy Spirit in their lives. So we thank you today, Jesus, and we pray this in your name for your glory. Amen. 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 I have a friend who, I have a friend who asks questions, I have a friend, Jesus, that I share with other people who ask questions. And I trust you would take the same direction, your own selves, in your life. And for all of you today that said, uh, Jesus, this is my day, this is my moment to ask you into my life, would you take a card and just write your name on that card? And then by your name in that area, just mark down the word follow, to say, I want to follow Jesus. 
We'd love to help you do that, to follow after him, to um, come alongside you as it were. And when you fill that card out, if you would give that to me at the end of the service or even just hand it in at the welcome area in the foyer um, and be able to connect over that. I'm going to just stay at the front if anyone would like to have prayer as well uh, today. Next Sunday, we want to continue on with our next myth that Aaron's going to help us with, uh, with the next question uh, that we want to answer. Um, and like I said, I tried to give you, I tried, I'm dealing with the hardest thing for me to deal with, uh, and to try to give a response that's not a pat answer, but something I trust you would see as solid that you can take with you and then be a help uh, to other people in your life. Thank you, Jason, for sharing. Jason's going to make his way out to the foyer. You'll see a table with uh, African covering on it. There's uh, blueprints uh, for the place that they're hoping to build. And then you can come alongside Jason and, and step alongside of him as he moves into the future and compassionately addresses the suffering of strangers uh, in Jesus' name to bring something good into their lives. So thank you for being here. Guests, we have our luncheon. It's just over in our gym, and we'd love to have you stay and enjoy some food. So thanks for being here. God bless you. Go and let's make a difference in our world. Let's bring blessing to the lives of others. Have a great day.